Hello and welcome to Nudge, the consumer psychology podcast with me, Phil Agnew. Today I'm chatting to Joel Klecht. Joel runs business casual copywriting, where he has helped hundreds of marketers in SaaS, B2B and digital marketing dramatically improve their work with better copy. He's worked with brands like HubSpot, WP Engine and Rankings.io, supporting their marketing with smart improvements to their web pages, email strategy and content. In this episode, Joel and I talk about the importance of understanding consumers before creating marketing. Joel highlights the tactics he uses to better understand his consumers and how he's applied these principles at large organizations. I think this is particularly salient today. Right now, many customers across the globe have new priorities. Previously, we may have worried about securing a table at a high-end restaurant, but now we're worried about the supermarket stocking the items we need to make dinner. Understanding consumers today during this time of uncertainty is vital. Get it wrong and you might lose business at a crucial time. Get it right and your marketing might resonate. Anyway, over to Joel, who explains how his first venture into copywriting came via direct response marketing. Now, direct response marketing has a pretty bad name. It's essentially communication targeted at a specific customer or set of customers, and it's often linked to junk mail and cold calling. Here's Joel explaining his career to date and how he surprisingly fell in love with direct response marketing. podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot podcast network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. The two funny things are, number one, I never saw a career in writing as viable for me. And number two, every job I've ever had has been a job I didn't know existed until it was my job. I stepped out in 2013 on my own, originally doing content, so blog posts, ebooks, that sort of thing. And I saw direct response copy, but I was disgusted by it. So my introduction to direct response and conversion copywriting was like supplements and, you know, forbidden neck pain cure and all these things that just seem skeezy and gross and awful and very used car salesman-ish. 
And so when I first encountered the field that I worked in now, I hated it. I wanted nothing to do with it because it felt like I had to sell my soul. It wasn't until I met Joanna Weeb or I guess encountered her work that I realized, holy crap, there's this whole clean, ethical, corporate side of this. The art of persuasion doesn't have to be about manipulation. It doesn't have to be dark and dirty and pushing people into things. It can be about helping people make better decisions and empathy and understanding people. It combined the writing I love, the analytics that I'd learned to love and had become so ingrained in me, and it had that competition factor. I could see and attribute my work to a result, and I could work to beat a control or beat my own work, and that was exciting to me. Applying nudge-like principles to your marketing can be really rewarding. Writing an email which converts or creating a web page that encourages the right clicks is satisfying. But getting there isn't easy, and it can be hard to know where to start. This is especially true if you expect results instantly. Joel goes on to explain that copywriting won't always provide a direct response. Instead, there are smarter ways to measure your work. One of the big things that you you have to realize, and I think a benefit I brought with me into this is the idea of attribution. So if all you look at is the direct one-to-one conversion of, say, an ad to a sale, that's not really how everybody interacts, even though we're working to drive an immediate direct response. Sometimes they might see an ad, then visit the site, then read some content, then do these other things. And so getting better at understanding how to look at the entire customer journey, getting better at understanding the ways people interact with sites, looking at things like heat maps, watching recorded user sessions, looking at that side of not only what does it say, but how is it presented Um, and looking at those journeys, that really helped inform me because I think there's a tendency to only look at last stage attribution, like, oh, this ad is killing it or this landing page is not doing anything at all and you miss the bigger picture. Uh, On a totally different side of things, one of the things I learned from the agency world is the need to be clear on communication and to always justify the why behind the work. I, I think a lot of people imagine that you know, my job is just purely creative. I lock myself in a room like Don Draper and wait for lightning bolts to strike. Only about 10% of what I do is actually writing. And the other 90% is research and talking to people and surveying customers and interviewing people. And so I think people miss that. And so communicating the value and the depth of what I do becomes really important. But every time that I send copy over, I'll either present it on a call and talk through the why behind what was done or I'll send a video talking through. And that shifts the conversation away from surface level things like, well, we don't like this word choice or, well, we don't like this section where it is and more towards, do we agree on the rationale? Joel's making a really important point here. If you're looking to apply behavior science findings to your work, whether that's through adding copy that emphasizes social proof or creating a sales deck based around anchoring, you'll have to explain your working. It's no good sharing this work without context, otherwise teammates will get hung up on smaller details rather than gearing behind the same goal. In my team, we regularly share short one or two minute videos where we talk through a landing page, a sales deck or an email draft and explain the rationale behind our decisions. This elevates the discussion and leads to much better feedback. But how does Joel apply this in practice? Well, I asked him to give us an example of the work he did for the SaaS giant HubSpot. HubSpot creates world-class software for marketers around the globe, and they enlisted Joel's help to improve their website. 
So to set the stage for the HubSpot project, it's important you understand that from the get-go, we were under an insane deadline. Uh, HubSpot was overhauling this massive marketing site, a huge change in positioning. And we had, I think, under two months to do the entire site. And so the first lesson and takeaway is when you have time constraints, you need to be ruthless about the research process. You don't abandon it. You never jump straight to production. That's suicide. But you have to be ruthless about where you focus. And so the first thing we did with HubSpot is we needed to get into the heads of customers. Before we started swinging a hammer trying to fix what was broken, we needed to understand what was working. And then we needed to understand what wasn't working. Because if we don't know what's working today, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We kill things that are actually contributing to conversion. So we had to be ruthless with the research. And there's a small subset of the things we'd normally do that we did because we pinned them as mission critical. The first was surveying customers. The reason you want to survey customers for a copywriting project, of all things, is because it allows you to get their feedback in their own language at scale. So we structured those surveys in a BDA format before, during, and after. What was life like before using HubSpot? What drove you to look for a solution like HubSpot? Uh, Why did you choose HubSpot over other alternatives? Then the D for during. So what was that experience like? What surprised or confused you about that process? And then the after. So what results did you see because of HubSpot? How, what has HubSpot made possible for you? And so in capturing that feedback at scale, not only did we get a sense of the language customers used to talk about it and what these pain points, anxieties, and hesitations even were, but we got a really good way of quantifying that. We could look and analyze trends and themes. We could tabulate which of these things was coming up most often. So when we looked at, say, the CRM or the marketing tool or the sales tool, we could look at the benefits spoken about most frequently or the desired outcomes communicated most frequently. And now we had a good barometer for not only what to say and how to say it, but what priority we should be giving things on the page. Uh, We got the research we needed in a short amount of time, and we hit the deadline. We got the site live. We got a fantastic result on the other side. So copy can't take all the credit. That should be obvious by now. But site-wide conversions nearly doubled for HubSpot. Inbound demo requests increased by 35%. I believe inbound call volume increased by 27%. For a company like HubSpot, that's a big deal. And I think we can pin a lot of that success down to one line that I sort of alluded to earlier was HubSpot offers a suite of tools that are powerful alone, but better together. And just by introducing that common playing ground, that common ground to help people anchor in, okay, it's a suite of tools, they're powerful alone, better together, we completely reshaped the conversation. So now they had a better picture of what each tool could do for them, how they synced up and connected. And as a result, one of the lesser point in two stats, but was equally important, is the customer support team saw a big drop in support requests and saw a big drop in the number of people asking those types of questions. That one line is a brilliant use of anchoring. It clearly states that HubSpot's suite of tools are fit to use in conjunction with one another, and those that do often see better results. It led to an increase in conversion, more sales, and even less support tickets. But Joel was only able to suggest this idea by making an effort to understand the customer journey. The BDA survey format was useful back then, and I think it's even more crucial today. The customer's needs before, during, and after purchases have changed for most businesses. 
Customers will now have concerns about whether the business will operate in six months' time, what the COVID-19 refund policy is, and even how their deliveries are social distance friendly. If your website, emails, or copy doesn't take this into account, your customers might look elsewhere. Now more than ever is the time to test your copy and trial out new messaging. For example, say you're in the market for a new mattress. If you head over to emma.com, the UK's most awarded mattress provider, the first thing you'll see on their site is their Easter sale and then information about their product. A small pop-up at the bottom provides an update on coronavirus with the chance to click more, but it doesn't provide much info on, on what they're actually doing. Casper, a similar-sized company, have taken a completely different approach. Their homepage has a whole tile dedicated to COVID-19 explaining their response. Using clear language and visuals, the site shows three different things Casper are implementing. Contactless delivery, no changes to shipping times, and even a delay on returns. This clear approach directly attempts to speak to customers' current concerns, and it could tip the balance for consumers who are weighing up their options. Anyway, back to Joel, who goes on to explain how he helped Rankings.io double their average deal size. So the challenge with Rankings.io was, again, here was a company in transition. Uh, Over time, Rankings.io had gone from being, I believe, sort of a more general SEO shop to serving attorneys at large. But now they wanted to specialize. They wanted to only work with personal injury firms. And not only did they only want to work with personal injury firms, they only wanted to work with personal injury firms that had budget to spend, that took SEO seriously, and that had a fairly serious sum of money to invest. So there's a section there called, Are We a Fit? And there's four different criteria that we know only the right firm will say yes to. The first is, can you handle an influx of clients? So if you can only take a few cases, this won't work. And this is a little bit of sneaky positioning because What we're quietly doing here is making a promise of an influx of clients. If you can't handle a lot of new clients, this is not for you. If you can't handle an increase in volume, don't work with us. That's kind of a funny way of positioning it, but it sort of flips the script in terms of normally it's the company demanding results. Here it's us saying, we're going to get you those results. If you're not ready for them, stay away. Then the next one is you want an end-to-end SEO partner. So we're kind of making a quiet promise here that we're going to handle all of their SEO needs. We're not interested in splintering them. And then finally, the big one can afford to invest $15,000 a month. That's going to send the wrong prospects immediately running for the hills. But because the rest of the site works really hard to establish the credibility and the communication and the transparency that they're going to get, by the time someone hits the contact page, they're ready to commit that type of money if they have it. Joel's suggestion to put that high price of $15,000 on the site is counterintuitive to a lot of conventional marketing wisdom. If we know a product or service seems expensive, then usually we'll try and hide that price. Joel suggests the complete opposite here. He put the high price on the website for everyone to see. This goes against how most SaaS B2B businesses operate currently, with most hiding their prices, forcing you to speak to a salesperson first. But Joel's approach worked. Following his intervention, the company doubled its average deal size. High prices can have an interesting effect on consumers when we see them. We we see a high price and we instantly perceive the quality is better and the risk of purchasing is lower. This can lead to some really interesting consumer behavior. 
In the late 1990s, when P&G wanted to introduce the new Olay Total Effects product, the company tested three different price levels, $12.99, $15.99 and $18.99. They wanted to determine which price would be the most appealing to target customers. Now, you might think that the $12.99 offer would succeed. After all, consumers want the cheapest price, right? Well, not quite. Their main buyer, which was typically well-off consumers in department stores, were not responsive at this price. They thought, because of the cheap price, that the product was low quality. Surprisingly, when Olay's price was increased to $18.99, around the price of other competitors, their purchases shot up to levels higher than the $12.99 price. Simply put, more people wanted to buy the same product at a higher price. The impact of a high price is particularly powerful when the buyer has difficulty uncovering what the item's quality is. This is why Joel found success in highlighting the expensive price at the SEO agency. It's impossible to know if an SEO agency will perform for your business until you try them out. But the high price point indicates the quality and suggests that they're a safe bet. But highlighting your price won't always work. Here's Joel giving an example of how removing the price from a site actually increased results. I was working with a company out of the UK in a little bit of a grim niche. So they help with online divorces. Uh, If you want a divorce and you want the convenience of doing it in a faster, easier way with lower fees and so on, this is the client to do it with. One of the things that we noticed is that the company had gone through a lot of time and effort to build this sort of court fees widget. So court fees, if you've ever been through a divorce or if you've ever known someone who's gone through a divorce, they're unavoidable. You have to pay them one way or another. It's not a fee that this company was imposing and it's not an insignificant amount of money. So the idea was sound that, hey, we'll we'll put together this court fees calculator, help people anticipate what's coming. As it turns out, everyone or almost everyone who interacted with that, it was like a poison pill. It would kill the conversion. Instead of being a helpful asset, Whatever it was doing was implanting fear or not really communicating the message that, hey, there are plans for this. There are ways to manage this cost. So one of the things we did was kill all links to that tool and instead just make a brief mention instead of a whole production surrounding the fact that, yes, court fees are inevitable, but there are plans that can help you solve them. Talk to a representative to talk about some options. So very small adjustments, very short to implement But very quickly, near immediately, within the next month or two, they saw this big jump in revenue they were generating, and that has been sustained ever since. So for SEO agencies, revealing a high price might improve conversion, but for divorce lawyers, it doesn't. Why might this be? Well, one reason is because the level of quality a consumer desires is much lower for a divorce. I mean, they don't benefit from the purchase, so paying extra for a quality process won't seem like too much of a benefit. Loss aversion tells us that losses feel twice as bad as equivalent gains. And in the divorce example, there's really only losses, losing the marriage and losing the money that was spent on ending the marriage. As such, highlighting this cost won't help. But in the SEO example, there was much more to gain. A good SEO agency could bring back double the investment in new business. So suddenly, a high price seems reasonable. One way businesses like the divorce lawyers make their prices seem more appealing is through monthly payments. Often businesses offer an expensive monthly plan and then a cheaper annual plan. 
Many of us probably assume this is just due to the fact that if a consumer cancels after three months, it's worth less to the business, so they need to pay a bit extra. But that's not the only reason. Businesses benefit from this pricing due to something called hyperbolic discounting. Hyperbolic discounting refers to the tendency people have to increasingly choose a smaller and more immediate reward over larger later rewards. In early studies on the effect, subjects were offered $15 immediately, or $30 after three months, $60 after one year, or $100 after three years. So four different choices. And obviously, the smart choice here is to take the largest amount, $100 after three years. But the majority, the vast majority, picked the $15 immediately. The salience of gaining something immediately beats having to wait. And the same effect holds true for payments. Consumers often value a slightly more expensive monthly plan over a cheaper annual plan because it feels better to pay less in the short term. Yet in the long term, many consumers often stay on these expensive monthly contracts for 12 months or more. Today, more than ever, it is vital that we make an effort as marketers to understand our customers. What are their current needs and concerns? What information do customers need now more than ever? Companies that are quick to alter their messaging, operations and services to better match consumers' concerns will be more likely to resonate and ultimately survive in today's day and age. To gather insights into what consumers' concerns are, the advice stays the same. Test, test, test with A-B variants, live surveys and online focus groups. And if you're in the B2B or SaaS space, speak to salespeople and account managers on the front line. Make sure they're sharing everything they know about what consumers want. Anyway, that's all from me today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to Joel. His work is truly fantastic. And if you want him to support your business, you can do so by clicking on the link in the show notes. And if you want to make sure you don't miss the next episode of Nudge, click the link in the show notes to sign up to the mailing list. Do that and I'll send you an email every single time a new episode goes live. That's all from me today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Nudge.